The following audio is from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com. This week, we're going to dive into uh, the next chapter in chapter uh, 17, which is a very familiar chapter to many of you. You've heard the story of David and Goliath probably 15 times, especially when you were a kid. But we're going to glean some stuff out of there that I hope will be a lot of new stuff to you that you've never seen before in this particular message. The title of it is called Winning Life's Battles. I I pulled up a couple of quotes from some generals that I thought would be fascinating that kind of applied to the message this morning. First one is by General Sherman, who was a Union general during the Civil War. He said, courage is a perfect sensibility of the measure of danger and mental willingness to endure it. Douglas MacArthur, one of my heroes, said, age wrinkles the body, quitting wrinkles the soul. And I like this one that he says, we're not retreating, we're advancing in another direction. (laughs) Don't you like that? (laughs) For some of you, maybe you feel like that. George Patton, and this is the one I will use again later on, but it says this, battle is the most magnificent competition in which a human being can indulge. It brings out all that is best. It removes all that is base. All men are afraid in battle. The coward is the one who lets his fear overcome his sense of duty. That's good. One more quote I'm going to give you from another warrior that we're going to read about today. You come against me with a sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, for the battle is the Lord's. Amen. I don't know what your battles look like this morning. For some of you, your battle might be an emotional battle, one of depression, worry, anxiety, some fears that are going on in your life. Perhaps it's a physical battle. Maybe it's cancer, arthritis, sickness, pain, disabilities. For some of you, it might be financial battles, perhaps a loss of a job recently or a unexpected expense that is really costing you, or maybe some relational battles in your marriage, perhaps a rebellious son or daughter or a broken relationship. We all have battles, right? We all have battles that we face, and some are bigger than others. Well, this morning we're going to see David entering into a battle that's just amazing how God used this young man to really win the battle. And so we're going to look at that this morning. So turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 17. 1 Samuel 17. We're going to walk through this story together. So keep your Bibles open. We're going to, going to walk right through this and follow along. I'm reading from the NIV. It says, Now the Philistines gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sukkah in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damon between Sukkah and Azekah. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. The Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with the valley between them. I had the wonderful privilege a few years ago of actually standing right there in that spot when I was in Israel. It's really fascinating. Big hills on both sides and a long valley in between. Okay, A champion named Goliath who was from Gath. Now, Gath had a reputation. I don't know if you know that, but it was a place where it was called the Land of Giants. So this was probably a very real uh, individual. Uh, It was a very real individual who was very, very large. He was over nine feet tall. He had a bronze helmet on his head and wore a coat of scale armor of bronze weighing 5,000 shekels. On his legs, he wore bronze greaves and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. 
His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels. His shield bearer went ahead of him. Let me stop right there. This guy, according to the calculations here, carried 200 pounds of armor on his body. That's a lot of metal. He also, the head of his spear weighed over 20 pounds, which means it was like having a, more than a bowling ball on the end of his spear. We're talking about a huge individual, okay? Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, This day I defy the ranks of Israel. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. This was a very common practice during those days where there were battles between different armies. Oftentimes they would take the champion of each army and have them duke it out. And if they duked it out, whoever won actually surrendered to the other, which saved an awful lot of casualties. But it was kind of one of the ways that they would do battle in those days. Now, verse 8, it says, Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, Why do you come out and line up? And you notice there, choose a man and have him come down to me. At that point, Goliath was actually down in the valley. Well, let's read on, verse 12. Now, David was the son of an Ephrathite named Jesse, who was from Bethlehem in Judah. Jesse had eight sons, and in Saul's time, he was old and well advanced in years. Jesse threw three eldest sons had followed Saul to the war. The firstborn was Eliab, the second Abinadab, and the third Shammah. David was the youngest. The three oldest followed Saul, but David went back and forth from Saul to send, tend his father's sheep at Bethlehem. You remember some of the brothers, you remember last week, they were all lined up in their beauty contest to see who was going to be anointed king. And these are three of the brothers, the oldest, who were there fighting with Saul. Now look at this. For 40 days the Philistine came forward every morning and evening and took a stand. 40 days. We're talking a long time. Well over a month he was coming out shouting and the Israelites virtually did nothing except be terrified and afraid. Now Jesse said to his son David, Take this FF of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers and hurry to their camp. Take along these 10 cheeses to the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance from them. There was Saul and all the men of Israel in the valley of Elah fighting against the Philistines. Let me stop right there. First point I want to make to you this morning is this. The first principle. Let's go down to verse 25 first of all. Before I get there. Uh, let's go to uh, verse 20. Early in the morning, David left the flock with a shepherd, uh, with a shepherd, loaded up and set out as Jesse had directed. He reached the camp as the army was going out to its battle position, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines are drawing up their lines facing each other. David left his things with the keeper of supplies, ran to the battle lines and greeted his brothers. As he was talking with them, Goliath, the Philistine champion from Gath, stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance, and David heard it. And when the Philistines saw the man, they all ran from him in great fear. Now, here's what I want you to notice, verse 25. Now, the Israelites had been saying, do you see how this man keeps coming out? He comes out to defy Israel. He will also give him his daughter, or excuse me, let me stop right there. The point I want to make here is this. 
What happened here is that apparently Goliath was on one side of the valley and he was shouting from the side of the hill and he comes down to the valley and now he's shouting up to the, to the Israelites. But apparently, as you look at the translation, as you do some study, it looks like he was moving even closer every time he would defy Israel. He got cockier and cockier. And the point I want to make to you, this first principle that I want to share with you this morning, the longer you wait to face your battle, the more ground you give to the enemy. The longer you wait to face your battle, the more ground you give to the enemy. Forty days they sat there terrified and paralyzed, not facing the battle. Now, I don't know about you, but perhaps there's something going on in your life that you have put off, procrastinated, are afraid to deal with or to confront, because it seems like the longer, though, you put it off and the longer you wait, the larger it looms, the more worry, the more fret, the more anxiety you get. If we're going to win some of those battles, sometimes we need to face it early on and deal with it rather than allow the enemy to gain more and more ground in our lives. And for some of you, perhaps that's where you're at. You're just afraid to deal with it. You see, when we put it off, we give time for our fears to multiply, as Patton's quote. See, perfect love casts out fear. You need to fix your mind on whatever is true, claim whatever promise God has given you, and face it. Deal with it. Stop putting it off. For some of you, you have an addiction or an issue in your life where you put it off and put it off and put it off, and pretty soon it's gotten so big, it's totally out of control, and you don't think you have any, any, any out. You don't have any power to deal with it. You're, you're, you're powerless. You don't even feel like God is even there anymore in your life. So that's number one. The longer we put it off, the more ground we can give to the enemy. Now let's move on in the story. He comes to defy Israel, it says in verse 25, the king will give great wealth to the man who kills him. He will also give him his daughter in marriage and will exempt his father's family from taxes in Israel. That was the deal. If he could find anybody who would fight this guy, he'd get the king's daughter and he'd be exempt from taxes. If you know anything about the king's daughters, you're better off not paying taxes, okay? But anyways, we'll move on. David asks the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes the disgrace from Israel? Who is, the un- who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? They repeated to him what they had been saying and told them, that is what will be done for the man who kills him. Well, when Eliab, Dave's oldest brother, heard him speaking with the men, he burned with anger at him and asked, Why have you come down here? And with whom did you leave those few sheep in the desert? I know how conceited you are and how wicked your heart is. You came down only to watch the battle. Well, you remember what I alluded to last week, that the brothers never really did get over that little brother was anointed king? Well, this is a good observation here. They were a little ticked off. They were jealous of David. And they were accusing him of a lack of integrity and and, and leaving his job that he was supposed to take care of the sheep. Now look at what David does in response. Now what have I done? Asked, said David. Can I even speak? He then what? Turned away to someone else and brought up the same matter. And the men answered him as before. What David said was overheard and reported to Saul and Saul sent for him. Here's principle number two. If you want to win life's battles, choose what hills you want to die on. You see, David could have stopped right there and gotten in his brother's face and said, look, Eliab, I don't have a lack of integrity. I left somebody with a sheep. Now, doggone it, you guys have been ragging on me for a long time about me being anointed king, and I'm sick of it. I'm tired. Did he do that? 
Now, he could have really confronted his brothers right there, but why? He had a bigger fish to fry. There was something bigger out there that was a lot more important for David to deal with. And sometimes you and I, we get caught up with a lot of little battles and little skirmishes that aren't really that important, but we make mountains out of molehills, and there's always bigger fish to fry. You know, I do a lot of consulting in churches and with pastors, and I find it over and over and over again. I could tell story after story of the kinds of disagreements and critical things that go on in a local church when God, they've got a whole ton of people out there that are dying and going to hell, and we want to fight over colors of carpet, and, and we want to fight over worship stuff. We want to fight over this. We want to fight over that. It's such nonsense in the eyes of God. But some of us find it Very easy to be so critical and so picky, we want to just make everything a big deal. And David just decided here, wait a minute, time out. I know I'm I'm, I'm being attacked here. I know my integrity is at risk, but I'm not going to do that. I'm going to walk away. I'm going to walk away. There's a giant out there that needs killing. How many of us find ourselves battling? And you know what's fascinating? A lot of our battles are in our inner circles. Have you ever noticed that? It's in the family. And here was a, a situation where it was about the family. And it's so interesting how our battles become family-oriented. Well, let's go to verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant will go and fight him. And now if I were Saul, I'd look at this kid and say, You've got to be kidding me. Well, Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You're only a boy, and he's been a fighting man from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it, struck it, rescued the sheep from its mouth. And when it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it, and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and a bear. This uncircum- and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. What do you think about that? Here's the third principle. When going into battle, concentrate on past victories, not defeats. You see, David had something to draw on in his life. He had faced other battles, and he faced it with the power of the Lord. And when he faced those battles, God gave him victories. And it's so easy for us to concentrate on all the negative stuff, right? All the losses. And we gravitate to that. And what David was trying to do is say, look, Saul, listen. I, I, you know, you think I'm just this, this little shepherd boy, but I want to tell you, I, I killed a lion and a bear with my bare hands. What do you think of that? You see, David had something to draw on in the past of his life to realize that God had been present with him before, and he went into this battle knowing that God would give him victory again. Chuck Swindoll writes this quote. I love it. It says, so often when facing our own giants, we forget what we ought to remember, and we remember what we ought to forget. Isn't that true? Let me read that again. So often when we face our own giants, we forget what we ought to remember, and we remember what we ought to forget. We don't capitalize on the victories. And this is what David was doing. He was going back in his past and saying, look, if he delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear... This Philistine's no big deal. You've got to be kidding. Love the guy's confidence. Love it. 
He goes into battle with great confidence because he is connected to his past victories. Are there any past victories in your life? Can you think back in your life over the years of walking with God and just looking, remember some of those divine appointments or those little miracles or those things that God has done for you along the way in your life's journey? And, and you've kind of thought back and say, oh, yeah, I remember when he got me through that. I remember when this happened. And, boy, God sustained me through that. And by his grace, he helped me with that. And pretty soon you've got a whole host of things. You say, you know what? If he did that before, he can certainly do it again. Amen. Well, Saul said to David, go and the Lord be with you. (laughs) Yeah, right, Saul. Then Saul dressed David in his own tunic, put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. And David fastened on his sword over the tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I can't go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off, and then he took his staff in his hand, chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in his hand, approached the Philistine. I love this because this is an important principle when we go into battle. You can't fight battles with somebody else's armor. Oh, how we try, don't we? We love to compare ourselves to everybody else out there. Well, he did it that way. You know, I go to pastor's conferences all the time, and they usually put up the success images, right? They put up the megachurch pastors, and we got all these young, impressionable pastors that come along. Well, if I do it like Rick Warren, if I do it like this, if I do it like Bill Hybels, if I do it, you know, I, you know God's going to bless me. And I'm thinking, put your own stinking armor on, will you? We're so busy trying to be like everybody else. God has equipped you as a masterpiece. We talked about that last week. God's put together in a very unique way. And when you start trying to wear everybody else's armor to go into battle, you're going to lose. And what's really sad is that a lot of people do not have enough self-awareness in their life so that when they go into battle, they try to fight it like everybody else. And in reality, God has equipped you to fight it the way he wants you to fight it. David was a shepherd boy who knew how to throw a slingshot. And so he defaulted to who he was. And sometimes when we go into battle, we try to default into everybody else's life, and we need to default into who God is, how he's equipped us. And he equipped David to use a slingshot. Now, this is really fascinating because I started thinking, a slingshot. David had a lot of time to practice. I mean, he was out there with the sheep all the time, and I can imagine that he had lots of time to practice. In fact, I did a little research about these guys with slingshots. It's really fascinating. If you go in the book of Judges, you find out that there was a part of the tribe of the Benjamin tribe. There were 700 guys who were like special forces. It was really cool. And these guys are all left-handed. That's why left-handed pitchers are so effective, right? And, and, and when they go into battle, these guys, because they were left-handed, everybody else was fighting with their right hand with their sword. And so when they saw these guys getting ready to throw something with their left hand, it just took them all off guard. And they were just unbelievably lethal. In fact, the scriptures tell us that they could split a hair with these rocks. It's amazing. I was talking to somebody after the service who did a little study on it, and they decided to try to learn how to use a slingshot. And it wasn't one of these things where you threw around. You just picked it up and you threw it. And he said he would play golf with his slingshot against guys with their golf clubs. I just heard the story. It's pretty fascinating. He said he could throw the ball 300 yards, the golf ball, and he could beat everybody on the golf course. He would just take a putter and a slingshot. So, hey, guys, if you're a golfer, you know, give it a shot, Okay. <laughs> 
But the point is, these guys, these, David was probably a gifted slingshot artist. He probably had a 100-mile-an-hour rock ball. You know what I mean? So I want you to notice this. This is really, really important. So in verse 41, Meanwhile, the Philistine and his shield-bearer in front of him kept coming closer to David. He looked David over and saw that he was only a boy, a ruddy, hand, uh, ruddy and handsome, and he despised him. And he said to David, Am I a dog that you come at me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds of the air and the beasts of the field. Talking trash, eh, Goliath? Get this. Verse 45. David said to the Philistine, You come against me with a sword and a spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've defiled. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I'll give you the carcasses of the Philistines' army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give all of you into our hands. Take that, Goliath, you trash-talking bully. David, why could he say that? Principle number five, always enter in the battle knowing that it is almighty God who's with you. What Satan wants to do to us when we go into battle is isolate us. Have you noticed that? He wants us to make us feel like, you know, we're the only one that have to deal with this. We're, we're, we're lonely. Nobody gives a rip. But David knew because he was defiling the armies of the living God that God was with him. And God was going to sustain him. God was going to get him through. It was all about God, not about him. See, God said he would never leave us nor forsake us, right? And sometimes when we go into battle, we just think, ah, I can't do this. You know, I just don't have the strength. Well, praise God you don't have the strength because power is perfected in your weakness, Right? God is the one who sustains us. God is the one that's going to give us the victory. And so David could talk trash to Goliath because he knew his God was with him. Do you know your God's with you? Do you really? Do you really feel like that God is there for you in a tough moment? Do you recognize that God and you are in this battle together? The more we recognize this, the more confident we can have to face any fear that comes our way. And David was able to talk trash to Goliath because he has the confidence to know that God is with him. If God be for us, who can be against us? Amen? Well, let's get to the rest of the story. Verse 48, as the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him, reaching into his bag and taking out a stone. He slung it and struck the Philistine on the forehead. The stone sank into his forehead and he fell face down on the ground. And I'm convinced that what Goliath was thinking is he thought something like this had never entered my mind before. And um, <laughs> just thought I'd throw that in there. So David triumphed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone. Without a sword in his hand, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. But look at what it says. David ran and stood over him. He took hold of the Philistine's sword and drew it up from the scabbard. After he killed him, he cut off his head with a sword. That must have been a bloody sight. When the Philistines saw that their hero was dead, they turned and ran. 
Then the men of Israel and Judah surged forward with a shout and pursued the Philistines to the entrance of Gath and to the gates of Ekron. Their dead were strewn all along the Sherem road to Gath and Ekron. When the Israelites returned from chasing the Philistines, they plundered their camp, and David took the Philistines' head and brought it to Jerusalem. And he put the Philistines' weapon in his own tent. Interesting. Why did he do that? Well, this is the sixth principle that I gleaned from this particular passage, and that is this. When the battle is won, make sure to bring a reminder of God's faithfulness with you. Got any swords in your tent, folks? Got any swords in your tent? You know, what's really fascinating to me is that we're the most forgetful people on earth sometimes, aren't we? You know, we remember the losses, but we often forget the victories in our lives. You remember when the people crossed the Jordan River, how they stacked up those stones to remind their kids that someday when the kids ask, you know, well, how was God faithful? And you say, well, those 12 stones, you know what they were? Those were when the 12 tribes crossed over into the promised land. Really? Cool. Got any swords in your tent? You know, it's really, really important that we look back in our lives and see again how God has been so faithful, just like David did with the lion and the bear, but he had a tangible reminder that was in his tent day in and day out that when he walked into his tent, God, you did it. You did it. You did it. When the battle is won, bring a sword. And put it in your tent. Let me finish and close this part of the story because we're going to go on and see what happens to David after that. But you'll have to wait for a few weeks. So, question is this. What giants are you facing right now in your life? What are you battling with? I started out by asking you, you know, there's emotional battles, there's physical battles, there's relational battles, there's financial battles. What are you facing right now? Is there something going on in your life that's just a struggle right now? Maybe some of you are putting off the battle, the confrontation, because you're just afraid to deal with it. You're afraid to to confront it. You're afraid to approach it. Remind yourself again that perfect love casts out fear. Who's in the battle with you? Here's here's the question, too. Are, Are you choosing the right hills to die on right now? Are you in some stuff right now that you're really just kind of, come on, chill out? Are you making a big deal out of nothing? Are there bigger fish to fry? Are there things out there that God wants to use you and do in your life and you're just camped on this dumb issue that's really not all that important, but you have created such a mountain out of it that it's become just a mess in your life because you've chose the wrong hills to die on? Have you stopped to think about how faithful God has been in your life over the past 10, 12 years, 20 years, 30 years? That's why we celebrate Thanksgiving. You know, we kind of go back and we kind of reflect. But, I mean, God has sustained you over so many different things in your life. Why wouldn't he want to continue to sustain you in the days that are ahead? And here's the one important question that I have, too. Do you have a proper self-awareness so you're not trying to wear somebody else's armor? Do you really believe that you're a masterpiece? I was going to do this last week, and 
I just thought about it just now again. That when I looked at that, I said, why don't you turn to a person next to you and look at them right in the eye and say, you are God's masterpiece. Would you do that? You are God's masterpiece. Do you believe that? For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. He made you uniquely different than everybody else. So try to stop wearing everybody else's armor. Enjoy who you are. Celebrate who you are. That's the way God's wired you. That's the way God made you. And he wants to use you the way you are. Just discover what that is and rejoice in it and celebrate it. It's not going to be like everybody else. That's okay. But don't wear somebody else's armor. If you throw a good slingshot, then throw a slingshot. That's okay. But bottom line is, do you recognize God's presence in the heat of the battle? We need to, right? I started out by reading this quote from George Patton, and I think it's appropriate to finish with it. It says, battle is the most magnificent competition in which a human being can indulge. It brings out all that is best. It removes all that is base. That's why God has us in battles. All men are afraid in battle. The coward is the one who lets his fear overcome his sense of duty. Hopefully you have that sense of duty with me this morning. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this familiar story once again to inspire us, to encourage us, to grow us. God, for that person who is fighting a battle right now, God, I pray that you would just help them to feel motivated because of the message this morning. Help them to know that they're not in this battle by themselves, that you're with them, that you'll never leave them, that you never forsake them. Surround them with people who want to fight it with them, perhaps. But God, I pray that all of us, if there's a battle going on, that we would face it and not put it off. For fear can grip us and paralyze us, and that's what Satan really wants to do. If God is for us, who can be against us? Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.cornerstone.com. Prescott Cornerstone.com.